Good morning. What a good-looking group, and the room is completely filled. Thanks for being here. It's my pleasure this morning to introduce Bob Fletcher. Bob is very active, both he and his wife Ruth are members here. And Bob, last time I saw him really working, you remember the garage sale and how hot it was, and he was a, a furniture delivery person, loaded his truck. He's involved in so many ways. The primary reason, though, that I appreciate him is his teaching ability. So please join me in welcoming Bob for the CUC this morning. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Thank you Alan. It's always a pleasure and it's always a, a deep honor to be in, in front of this, uh, this group. Uh, I, uh, I've always told some of my friends that uh, they tell me, well, you know, we're gonna, I'm going to teach the CUC. And I say, well, you better bring your A game because <laughs> this is an austere group. Uh, and also I want to uh, say to the visitors this morning that please do not judge the quality of the teaching this morning. Please come back and uh, don't just uh, just uh, put me on. <laughs> I'm going to do something dangerous this morning. At least I think it's dangerous. Um, I'm going to do something this morning where um, I'm going to use a very familiar passage. Uh, one, you know, there are people who don't even know the Bible. There are people who don't even profess uh, a faith or go to church. But there are there are people who know a little bit about Jesus. And one thing they know about Jesus is he turned the water into wine at the wedding of and they know that he raised Lazarus from the dead. And they also know that he fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. So this morning I'm going to talk a little bit about that story of the feeding of the 5,000. And every time, every time I get into the book, it, it is amazing to me, and maybe this doesn't happen to you, but it happens to me. I find words or phrases or verses that I never knew were there. And it all of a sudden opens up a totally different look at what, what it's all about. So this morning I'm going to share with you some things that I learned about the story of the feeding of the 5,000 that I didn't, I didn't know before. Um, now, when I taught Disciple 1 a couple times, um, you know, first of all, you start off in Disciple 1 with the Old Testament. Um, and you get kind of bogged down in the Colossians, I mean, Kings and Chronicles and all Leviticus, I mean, all those kind of things. And somebody in the back of the room will always say, when are we going to get to the New Testament? When are we going to get to the New Testament? And I always say, look, you got to be patient because it is very difficult. This is my opinion. It is very difficult for you to understand what happens in the New Testament if you do not have a working knowledge of what's going on in the Old Testament. Because a lot of the things that happened in the New Testament were not only told about in the Old Testament, but they lead to what happens in the New Testament. And then somewhere along the line, somebody with the light bulb will go on and they go, oh, I get it. It's all tied together. So here we go. The feeding of the 5,000. Now I'm going to use John's version. You know, this is the only miracle in the New Testament that's told in all four Gospels. The only one. So it's interesting that all four of them have it, which tells me that it was pretty important uh, to, the, to the disciples. But I'm going to start with Second Kings. Now, in the study, in the preparation for this, there was a reference to Second Kings. And I'm going, Second Kings? What's Second Kings got to do with feeding 5,000? Well, listen up. 
there was a famine in the land. Okay? So that's the setup for Second Kings. And there's only three or four verses here. But listen to this. A man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing food from the first fruits to the man of God. Now the man of God here is the prophet Elisha. Twenty loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. So he's got twenty loaves of barley that he's given to Elisha in the famine. Elisha says, give it to the people and let them eat. But the servant said, how can I set before a hundred people twenty loaves? Now, by the way, let's define the word loaves here, okay? It ain't like it's a French bread loaf, okay? It's not a loaf of bread. A loaf here is like a tortilla. Okay, so we're talking about this guy's got 20 tortillas and he's going to give it to 100 men. Okay, and, and so the servant says, how's, it, how's this going to work? And Elisha repeated, give it to the people and let them eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. And he said it before them and they ate and they had some left over. Elisha feeds a hundred men with twenty loaves. Okay, now let's jump forward to the story. John chapter um, chapter six. Um, well, it's it, it's important to understand who wrote what and who they wrote it to and why they wrote it. Okay, so I can't just jump into the in, into the story without giving you some background. John, as we all know, the youngest disciple, lived to be the oldest disciple. And uh, he wrote John somewhere around the end of the first century. Well, by the end of the first century, Christianity was no longer a Jewish sect. It was a Gentile Greek religion. In fact, um, some have said that for every Jew who had become a Christian at the end of the first century, 100,000 Greeks had become Christians. So John was not writing to the Jews. John was writing to the Greeks. And the Greeks have no concept of a Messiah. And they don't understand all this Jewish stuff, right? So when you read John, John every once in a while will throw in some stuff for the Greeks to understand what he's talking about. In fact, if you read the first chapter of John, the first verses, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, what's the Word? Well, the Word in Greek is Logos. The Greeks had no concept of Messiah. You can't say there was the Messiah, but they understood who Logos was. That's the mind of God, the essence of God. By the way, when John said... And the word became flesh. You talk about blowing away some Greeks. Because the Greeks believed in all the Greek gods, right? But no Greek god had ever become human. So all of a sudden. All right, so here we go. John's talking to the Greeks, and he's explaining the story. After this, Jesus went to the other side. After this. Now, if you read enough of John, you're going to see a lot of after this is. Well, what was the after this? Well, John the Baptist had just been killed by... Um, Herod Antipas. Now, you know the story. Herod Antipas was one of the sons of Herod the Great, chip off the old block. Herod Antipas uh, fell in love. Uh, well, I don't know about that love part, but anyway. Herodias was his half-brother Philip's wife. So Herodias and, and uh, Herod Antipas kind of got together, which really upset John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist was proclaiming to everybody that they were living in sin. I mean, after all took the life of his brother, right? So they have this birthday party for Herod Antipas, and uh, Herodias has this daughter named Salome, uh, and she does this dance. Now, I don't know what kind of dance it was, but it was pretty impressive uh, to Herod Antipas. And Herod 
you know, just off the top of his head says, you can have anything in my kingdom. So Salome goes to her mother and Herodias, and they get together, and Herodias hates John the Baptist, and so he said, so he says, I want John the Baptist's head on the platter. Now, John, now Herod Antipas doesn't want to kill John the Baptist, but he just said anything, so sure enough, they chopped off his head, put it on the platter, and brought it up to the party, which probably pretty much killed the party. <laughs> uh, so the word got to Jesus that John the Baptist, his first cousin, uh, was dead, and so Jesus is warning and he wants to get away from the crowds, and he wants to kind of get off by himself. So that's what the after this is. So after this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias for you Greeks. Okay, so you understand we're talking about the same sea here. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. So Jesus couldn't get away from the crowds. He went up to the mountain, and he sat down with his disciples. By the way, anytime a rabbi sits down, that's when the teaching begins. Rabbis don't teach standing up. They teach sitting down. So every time you see in the Bible when Jesus says that he sat and then he did, well, he's teaching the disciples. So this story is taught to the disciples. It is not for the crowd. Okay. Now, the Passover, okay, Greeks, you don't know what the Passover is, so comma, the festival of the Jews. Uh, there are three festivals that the Jew, a Jewish man had to attend every year. And that's, that's why Jews had to live within a five-day walk of Jerusalem, so that they could get to these festivals. And the biggest one, of course, was Passover. And we know what the Passover festival is all about. Remember that the slaves were under Pharaoh, and they had the, the nine problems, and then the tenth one was the angel of death, and the only way the angel of death could pass over your house is if you killed a lamb and put the blood on the... Alright, so so Passover. So everybody's coming to Jerusalem to get to the Passover. That's why there was a crowd. Alright? I mean, these little bitty towns didn't have hardly anybody in them. In fact, Jerusalem only had 100,000 people on a normal day. They said that for the Passover when Jesus was crucified, they could have had a million and a half people there. So crowds everywhere, right? Coming down, journeying from all over the place, going down to, to uh, Jerusalem. So there was a festival of the Jews. was near. When Jesus looked up and saw the large crowd. Now later on we know that the crowd was 5,000 men. Now, ladies, y'all play with me on this one. They don't count the women, okay? So they only count the men, and they don't count the children. So the women and the children are no count <laughs> when it comes to the Bible, okay? <laughs> so there were 5,000 men. Now, y'all think about this. If there were 5,000 men, some of them were married, and some of them had children. So we're not talking about a crowd of just 5,000. We're talking about a crowd that could have been, what, I don't know, 10, 15,000 people. Think about that. Jesus didn't have a website, didn't have a business card, didn't have anything. He draws 10 or 15,000 people. And by the way, they were uh, close to Bethsaida. And Bethsaida is on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. Beth, you know, the word Beth means house of. And Saida means fisherman. So Bethsaida is the place of fishermen. And it's a little video town. Philip is from Bethsaida, by the way. So, a little video town. So, when he looked up and he saw the large crowd coming to him, Jesus said to Philip, 
why in the world did he pick Philip of all the people? Well, first of all, Philip is from the nearby town, Bethsaida, and every disciple had a job. So, like, Judas was the keeper of the money, right? Because Jesus, I don't think, had any pockets. You know, let me tell you why. Because you remember when they asked him the question, are you supposed to pay, are we supposed to pay our taxes to the Roman government? And he said, anybody got a coin? So, he obviously didn't have it. That's not in the Bible, that's mine. <laughs> so, Philip's job was to get the provisions for the disciples, for the group. His job was to get the provisions. Okay? He was, the, he was the, 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 the guy who did that. So he turns to Philip and he says, where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? Now, when I read this a thousand times, I never remembered the word we. And guess what? Philip doesn't hear it either. Because Jesus said, where are we to get the bread enough for these people to eat? Now, if you go to Mark, Mark also says something that's kind of interesting when he writes about it. He says, when he grew late, the disciples came to Jesus and said, this is a deserted place and the hour is now very late. And here's their solution to the problem. Send them away so that they can go in the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves something for them to eat. So the solution for the disciples is not my problem, their problem. So just once you dismiss the crowd, let them go figure out how to get something to eat. But Jesus turned to them and said, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. So then Philip does the math, okay? Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? Now he said this to test Philip, for he already knew what he was about to do. Y'all listen to this. When Jesus asks you to do something, or Jesus puts a situation in your path, remember he already knows what he's going to do. He just needs you to get involved, okay? So he already knew what he was going to do. So Philip, the ever-present bean counter, does the math. Let's see, one tortilla, two times five thousand, ten thousand times twenty-two cents, dum-dum-dum-dum, it's going to take about... 200 denarii. Now, a denarii is a silver Roman coin that is used to pay a wage of one day's work. So 200 days worth of work is about what? I don't know. The day's wages, you know, 10, 15, 20 grand. Six months wages is not going to buy enough bread for everybody just to get a little taste. This is impossible. What are you asking for, Jesus? You want us to feed them? We got no money. And by the way, I'm from Bethsaida down the hill there. That baker down there can't handle this. There ain't no way that baker can handle this. Now, Philip is doing what we do. And Philip is, Jesus is asking for faith, and Philip is giving him facts. Sometimes God comes to us and says, here's my vision, and here's what I want you to do. And we sit back and go, you know what, God? I don't have any time. I don't have any money. I don't have enough talent. I don't have any way to get there. I don't know. I'm not smart enough. We, he asked for faith. We give him facts. Philip did what most people did, what we would do. He counted the cost. He gave a normal response. Now, that reminds me. Um, you know, I'm from Louisiana, so uh, I'll tell a Louisiana story every now and then. So Boudreaux, um, <laughs> Boudreaux goes to the mental asylum uh, in Lafayette. And he's taking a tour. And so he asks the director, he says, now, uh, 
how do you decide who is normal and who gets admitted? And the director says, oh, that's easy. He says, we give them a test. We fill up the bathtub full of water, and we give them a teaspoon, a coffee cup, and a bucket. And we ask them to empty the tub. And Pudro goes, oh, that's easy. The normal person would pick the bucket because it's bigger than the teaspoon and bigger than the coffee cup. And the director goes, well, not exactly. A normal person would pull the plug. (laughs) So, Philip, you need to pull the plug on this thing now. Quit trying to count out how you're going to do it. By the way, this is the other thing that bothers me about Philip. Philip was with Jesus when he turned the water into wine into Canaan, right? In the the wedding. So he saw him turn water into wine. Philip was with him when he healed the leper, when he healed the lame. In fact, he was with him when he brought two kids back from the dead. And Philip was wondering where they're going to get enough money to feed these people. I mean, come on, Philip. It's God you're talking about here. So we don't have enough money. How are we going to do it? One of the disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother. Now, y'all know about Andrew. Andrew is the person who brings people to Christ. He brought Simon Peter to Christ. Remember, after he saw John the Baptist baptizing uh, Jesus in the River Jordan, he runs back home and says, Peter, you can't believe, you ain't gonna believe this, but I think I, I, we get, we've got the Messiah. We found him. So he brings Simon Peter to Jesus. If you remember when the Billy Graham crusade came through, um, and we were all involved, some of us were involved in that, there was a thing called the Andrew Project, and that was to, for you to bring someone with you to the Billy Graham crusade, because that's what Andrew does, brings people to Jesus. So Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, now there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. Five barley tortillas. By the way, the word barley is very important in the story, because this means this was a very, come from a very poor family. Barley was used if you were poor. Wheat was used if you were rich. So this is a very poor family. Barley loaves, five barley tortillas, and two fish. Not catfish, not bass, two salted little bitty uh, fish. So sardines, actually, is what it was. So we're talking about five barley tortillas and two sardines. That's what this kid had, okay? Now, first of all, this is a miracle already. This is a miracle that the kids still got the, got the lunch. <laughs> you, ever, you ever give a boy, about a 10-year-old boy, a lunch to go out, like on, a, on a, a school trip? Now, here's your lunch, right? Got your bologna sandwich, got your banana, got you some Oreos. You reckon those Oreos are going to still be there by the time lunch comes around? <laughs> no way. So, A, he still got the lunch. That's, a, that's in itself a miracle. But it tells us something about the mother. Because you know the mother fixed his lunch, right? So it tells us something about the mother. Number one, we know that she made sure that he would have something to eat. Some people say in some of the books that I read that this would have been the lunch for the entire family since they were so poor. So she could have given her lunch to the little boy. Number two, she must have somewhere in her upbringing taught him to share. And not only to share, he didn't give two loaves and one fish and kept some for himself, right? He gave everything, five loaves and two fish. So not only did she teach him to share, but she taught him to be generous. Because he was generous, here, if Jesus can handle this, here here it is. 
She must have also given him some kind of spiritual background. What's this boy doing around Jesus anyway? I mean, I can just imagine that conversation that morning. Jesus is here, and I'm going to go see him. And so, well, you ain't going around lunch, because you ain't going to be out there all day. So there's something about the mother. Now, if we go back to Mark, Mark also adds a little thing that I think is interesting. He says, they said to him, are we to buy... Are we to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them to eat? And then he turned to them and said, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. Isn't it interesting that those 12 disciples, you didn't hear the disciples giving up their lunch. If they had a lunch, they didn't offer it. And if they didn't have a lunch, then why weren't they having a lunch? So it's not the disciples giving the bread to Jesus, it's the little boy. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. You may not have a lot of dollars, thousands of dollars in your bank account, but what do you do have? Check your resources, and then you tell me what you do have. Until the disciples are willing to commit what they do have, Jesus waits. This miracle was not for the crowds, but for the disciples. They must be driven to a point that they realize the utter inadequacy of their own resources. Jesus is teaching the disciples, you got to understand that when you have nothing left, you need to turn to me. I'm the guy who gives you everything. In fact, I pulled this out of somewhere. It takes a step of faith to offer our ridiculously limited resources to Jesus as though it could make some kind of dent in the world's poverty and crime and disease and ignorance and pain and spiritual lostness. We say things like, my tithe doesn't amount to beans. Why should I borrow? Why should I bother? And Jesus says, bring it to me. My time is so limited with all the responsibilities I carry, I don't see how my little bit of time I have is going to make any difference to anybody. And Jesus said, let me see what you got. Bring it to me. So Philip bring, so Andrew brings the little boy's lunch. There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. And then listen to this question. But what are they among so many? Even Andrew is saying, I found this lunch, but we got 15,000 people out here. There is no way this is going to happen. Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now, there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. And then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks. Now, what did he say? Well, he probably gave the blessing, that is typical blessing that Jewish people give, and that something like this. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the world, who has created bread to come forth out of the earth. Isn't it interesting that Jesus blessed something that was not enough? If you think you got something so little, give it to Jesus and let him bless it. He blesses the not enough. When you can be thankful for that which is not enough, then it can be multiplied into that which is more than enough. So he takes the loaves, he gives the blessing, and he breaks them. And then he gives it to the disciples to feed the people. We are, oh, and by the way, when they were all satisfied, and by the word, the word here is sated, meaning that you can't eat anymore. We're talking turkey dinner here. Everybody had more than they could possibly eat. 
he told the disciples, gather up the fragments left over. Just like the Elisha story. By the way, this is also reminiscent for the people who understood that they understood the Elisha story. So here is Jesus feeding 15,000, 5,000, 10,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Elisha used his loaves only for 100 people. Gather up the leftovers so nothing will be lost. Now, let's do the math. We are absolutely sure that when Jesus started this, he had five barley tortillas and two sardines. Absolutely sure. But once he started breaking it, the counting was multiplied. We have no idea how much was on it. Now, I am positive that God can count. So if he wanted to, God could have, Jesus could have given them exactly the right amount to feed everybody. In other words, nothing left over, right? He could have done that. But what he was teaching the disciples is, you got to understand that there's going to be leftovers when you deal with me. I am an abundant God. Not only do I provide, I provide. By the way, I think one of the names for God is El Shaddai, which means the great provider of more than enough. Okay? I believe that the power in the text is in the leftovers. This is the what I got from this thing that I had never got before. I missed the leftovers. He chose them to have overflow. You know, uh, my mama used to make the best banana pudding known to mankind. I love banana pudding. It's my favorite, absolutely favorite dessert. And my mama was good at making banana pudding, but she doesn't hold a light to Ruth. My Ruth can make flat-out made banana pudding. <laughs> now, I may be... But warm banana pudding is a good thing, okay? Don't get me wrong. I ain't turning down warm banana pudding. But you know when banana pudding is at its best? About two days later in the refrigerator. When that... When all that stuff gets all mushed together, you know, you got the... The wafers and the bananas and all that. That's what I, I like the leftover banana pudding. Okay? So I'm kind of thinking that the leftovers, in this case, were probably pretty, pretty special. And how much did they have left over? Well, they gathered up the leftovers and from them they had, from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they had 12 baskets full left over. That's one for each disciple. So, Jesus was in the leftovers. Jesus will take care of them when they take care of others. Jesus didn't feed the 5,000. He gave it to the disciples to feed the 5,000. Now, let me tell you where all of a sudden this hit me when I gave this this uh, this lesson to the Bereans. And uh, it was in August. And my good friend, Rusty, raised his hand, which he normally doesn't do when I'm teaching. And he goes, let me tell you a story about leftovers. And I go, all right. He goes, you know, we have a garage sale every year. And that garage sale consists of things that people have left over. They give us their scraps. And we sell enough in that scrap to feed how many people at Job Networking? About 6,000 a year. So don't tell me that the Bible don't work, okay? Because we have an active uh, uh, example of taking the scraps and feeding people, taking the leftovers. Jesus is sufficient for our needs. Now watch this. Let's jump to John chapter 21. Let's come full circle with the story. John chapter 21 talks about the 
first breakfast. You know, you heard about the Last Supper. You know when that was. But maybe you haven't heard about the first breakfast. Okay, so there's a first breakfast. So, just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach. And his disciples didn't know it was Jesus. You know what they did after the resurrection and before the before the ascension? You know what Peter did, don't you? Well, let me just read it to you. Um, Gathered together with Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathan, Nathaniel of Cana, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two others in, of the disciples. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Let's see now. Death, resurrection, out of death, seeming, you know, appeared to the disciples. And you would think that Peter automatically would go to seminary, become a preacher, and get out there and start the ministry. No, 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 no. Peter said, I'm going fishing. Well, don't we do the same thing? Don't we always try to crawl back into that box that we're comfortable with? Why should we start the ministry? I think I'd rather go do something I know how to do, which is go fishing. So they went fishing. So they went out, got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So they must have not been very good fishermen. It wasn't biting. I don't know. They didn't catch anything. So just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the, Jesus said to them, Fellas, did you catch anything? And they answered, no. So he said, well, cast the net over to the right side of the boat. Now, this has happened before, right? It happened to Peter. Because Peter fished all night one time, and this carpenter, this hammer hanger, told this professional fisherman that if he threw the nets on the other side of the boat, that he'd catch something, right? So this, this has happened before. So throw your nets on the right side. So they cast it out, and they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. Now the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, "It's the Lord." And when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on the clothes, put on some of his clothes because he was naked, and he jumped into the sea. He did what? You think he did the exact opposite? Take off some clothes and jump into the sea. But since they, since it was hot and they fished at night because it was cooler, they also fished in you know like a bathing suit. That, you know they fished basically with not a whole lot of clothes on. And there's no way that Peter could address the rabbi. He certainly couldn't address the Son of God without his coat on. So he put his coat on something in the water. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. When they had come ashore, they saw a charcoal fire, very important, and there was fish already on it. So fish that they didn't catch was already being cooked by Jesus. And bread. Interesting. Hey, disciples, catch in on here now. This is going to be important. So Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153. Not 122, not 18. Not, I mean, somebody counted these fish. Well, and I always thought 153. Why is it 153? And there's all kinds of discussions about 153. That's every fish that was known to man represents the whole world. I mean, y'all can turn into what you want. These are professional fishermen. So they sold fish. So they knew, they had to count the fish to know how much money they're going to make, right? So they, they, were, they were used to counting fish. 153. And the net wasn't torn. So Jesus said, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. So Jesus came, he took the bread, and he gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. Yeah, 5,000. 
This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples. When they finished breakfast, he turned to Simon Peter and he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now there are three words for love in the in the Greek. There is eros, which is a like love between never used in the New Testament. Then there's phileo, which is um, friends, like uh, Philadelphia, city of friends. And then there is agape, which is God's love. Okay. So he asks him phileo. He says, do you love me more than your friends out here? Do you love me more than fishing? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Just like I fed the 5,000, I need you to feed the sheep. And by the way, I'm showing you one more time where you're going to get the power, where you're going to get the abundance, where you're going to get the necessary resources. A second time he asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, tend my sheep twice. How many times did Peter deny Jesus in the courtyard of Caiaphas around the charcoal fire? Three times. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you really love me? Agape this time. And Peter felt hurt because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything in my heart. You know I love you. Keep my sheep. You see, he's reinforcing to the disciples, and especially he's reinforcing to Simon Peter, that the, that the disciples can count on Jesus in the challenging times ahead. I want to end with a, a little note from Kid Geyer, one of my favorites, and then I'll, I'll end with a prayer at the end. When he sees the people making his way up the hill, foraging for a few tender mercies, Jesus seizes the moment. And he asks Philip, where shall we buy, where shall we buy bread for all these people? The disciple puts a sharp pencil to the problem and is quick to calculate the cost. He concludes the expenditure is beyond their budget. He puts the pencil down and he says it's impossible, can't be done. Well, we all have our own list of impossibilities. Can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. Can't get blood from a turnip. Can't change a leopard's spots. Impossibilities? Not to the word who was in the beginning with God, flinging galaxies into the, into orbit. Not to the word who was God. For Jesus knit the leadership of his church out of the coarse threads of fishermen and tax collectors. He got wine from tap water and he changed a man covered with leopard spots and made him clean. Andrew goes to a little more trouble to and search for the solution. He doesn't look at what can't be done, but a little bit that can be done. And do, in so doing, he finds a poor boy with five loaves of coarsely ground barley bread and a couple of fish. But how can we feed so many? What Philip and Andrew don't see is the impossible situations are not solved by how much we have in our purses or in our baskets, not by how adequate our bank account or how abundant our assets Impossibilities are solved by miracles. That is where the disciples were to go to get bread. So Jesus turns to the boy. He doesn't have much. And what he, and what he has even isn't the best. It's food for the poor. Bread made from barley, not wheat. Salted down sardines, not lamb chops. But what he has is enough. So for the surrender of a child and the compassion of a savior, that's all we need for this miracle. It's an incredible moment. Plans to make Jesus king spread through the crowd. But Jesus, just as the Savior refused the crown offered to him by Satan in the wilderness, he refuses this one now. Jesus knows the way to the throne is not over the red carpet of the tempter or on the shoulders of supporters. 
way to the throne is the path charted by his father up that stony path that led to Calvary. It would be there that the bread of life would be broken. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I, I confess that sometimes I feel so inadequate to meet the crowd of needs that surrounds me. I'm just like that little boy with the lunch. I feel that the loaves I have are too small and the fish too few. How far will they go among so many? And yet I know that you manifest power through the weak things in the world. Help me to see that I, I don't need the adequate bank account Philip recommended or abundant assets that Andrew hinted at. All I need is to place what I have in your hands, just like that little boy. Give me the faith to realize that you will bless what I give, no matter how small the loaves, no matter how few the fish, no matter how meager the time or the talents or the treasures I place in your hands, you will multiply them. I don't have much, Lord, but I'll give you what I got. Take my coarsely ground life and the small skills that accompany it. Take them into your hands, Lord. Bless them. Multiply them. Use them for your glory. And help me to realize that you are the true bread of life and that you are my daily bread. And that's all the bread. to have you back in a great lesson. Thank you very much. <clears throat> it's funny, I'm sitting there in Bob's lesson and everything, and each week I try to come up with some thought of the day, and how fitting I feel like this little thought that I pulled out fits into the lesson that Bob gave. The thought is, it's not who we are, but whose we are. So if we remember that we're the children of God, and He provides for us, we'll be doing okay. So I'll remember it and have a very good week.